good. Um, we are going further in our dealing with the complicated process of Chiva, Elo, becoming a Baal Chiva at the same time. And there's a very important lesson derived from, it was but yesterday's parasha, and it describes the fair maiden in war. As you all know, there's a very strange, seemingly dodgy halacha, which says that if a man spies an extremely attractive, or at least to him at the time, woman in war, he can take her, even though she's not of Jewish origin. <laughs> he can marry her, even though she's not of Jewish origin. He can be with her, even though she's not of Jewish origin. The question is, why? Why, why, why? A man's in the war, he's in the heat of battle, and he sees a well-dressed non-Jewish woman, and she says, Hey there, soldier. He says, Hey, what's your star sign? <laughs> Fortunately, he was trapped in the 70s. Um, <laughs> people who remember the 70s can laugh. <laughs> Others can just ask their parents. So, he can as it were, engage in what would normally consider improper conduct in the context of battle. He can take her and he can have relations with her. But how, where did they come from? I mean, she's forbidden to him. So the Torah says, explained by Rashi, a very interesting concept. He says that <coughs> Man goes to war, sees woman, attracted to her, and next thing you know, he has taken her. And on, not only that, but the Torah says, You can take her as a wife. How can you do that? Says Rashi, quoting a Gemara in Kiddushin, the Torah was addressing, it was speaking, it was, it was communicating to the Yetzirah, the negative part of man, the evil inclination. If at that point in time doesn't say it's permitted to marry this woman, he will marry her even though it's prohibited. Rabbi Rucham Levavitch, with the Mashkech in the mirror, an amazing man, explains that this is not just a principle in regard to a fair maiden in war, but it's an overriding principle which carries throughout all of Torah. The principle essentially is as follows. One would have thought that the Torah was a prude. The Torah was this religious document which, as long as you stayed within the realms of religious observant, it would be very relevant for you to, to consult. So, for example, when you know what you have to do when entering into a shul, and which way you have to bow, and how many steps you have to take, and which prayers you have to recite, you would have thought that Torah is a religion like all other religions. And it's relevant to the place of worship. But when you would go to a nightclub, perish the thought, and you'd be standing in the smokeful room, 
trapped in the 70s. And as the strobe lights created exciting shapes out of the smoke, um, you think to yourself, okay, so what does the Torah require of me in this particular situation? The answer would be, well, it doesn't discuss it because the Torah doesn't talk about nightclubs. You'd think if you're in a business transaction, so the Torah discusses how you should do it, but what happens when you're already deeply involved in some type of not so healthy financial interaction? So now, what does the Torah say now? Not what the Torah said, had I not got into the problem, but now I'm in the problem. In other words, one would have thought that the Torah describes the ideal and doesn't relate to the lowly, to the depraved, to the place of where the person is in a situation which is hardly holy. You think, there, yeah, the Torah has nothing to say. And comes along in the Chumash and tells me, the Torah discusses absolutely every nuance of behavior. And it has an approach for it as well. But that's absurd. How can the Torah do that? Hooray, behold, you're not meant to be there in the first place. Just like you're not meant to have a desire for this woman in the first place. You shouldn't be lusting after women who are not the type of woman you want to hang out with. I mean, it's not like you meet her more and you like start going through a little bit of a shidduch, shidduch checkup system. So tell me, um, what is your ashkofa? <laughs> Tell me, um, Inga, <laughs> what is your, what's your Ashkofa like? What are your, do you hold it? Do you have a TV in your house? <laughs> <laughs> Where do you want to educate our kids? It's not kind of discussion anticipated as happening like in the heat of war when she kind of beguiles him in, into her, the living room. So, so how, how does the Torah address that? The Torah, the, Torah speak, the Torah speaks to the person in that situation and says, okay, here we have an approach. And the Torah gives an approach of how he should relate to this woman and how eventually he should, if he does reach marriage with her, how it should go. In other words, the Torah says, even here I have an approach. Hashem. In other words, Hashem deals with the entire gamut of experiences. He doesn't only speak to you when everything's going right. When things start going wrong, there's also a way. There's also, as it were, within the darkness, there's also Ratz and Hashem, there's what Hashem wants. Oh. Shouldn't the pastor agreed that you shouldn't, but if you do. Um. Get out. <laughs> That's what I mean before you get entrenched. <laughs> the the implication is the implication is that it's not a okay, there's other proofs, but the implication is that it's not a positive thing. In other words, it's not that the Torah says this is great and go ahead with it. It's that you're there and it's not ideal because the Torah says Rashi continues and says I will, yeah, if I will not so the truth is that if you will marry her you actually hate her and it kind of gives a sad ending to it meaning that this is definitely not the ideal situation it's almost as if the Torah says 
you're there and you had this desire so I can't tell you not to have the desire I can't say don't desire it because the people who don't desire it don't and the people who are going to so even if I say to them don't it's just going to happen anyway so now this is crucial because unless you understand this principle you can actually this is the irony this is where being not from becomes being from this is where by a person being too from will destroy his entire Judaism because what often happens is a person many of us are confronted by tests on a day-to-day basis saying not Americans but mortals mortals people who have mortal coil people who who have blood gushing through their veins not money thank you <laughs> I wasn't going to say it I wasn't going to say it I wasn't going to expose the ridiculousness of the culture to the world <laughs> but since you did um, but <laughs> but I'm just so happy you raised this point. This, this can form banter for oh God, weeks, weeks, weeks. It's going to be a pity when the British guys leave, but we'll still maintain it. It'll be hard, but we'll. Anyway, so when when a person is in a compromising position, often what happens is you start to think, well, look, you give up hope because you feel. In this situation, I'm so out of the framework of Torah that it's stupid even to think in those terms. If I would be doing the right thing, so then I could, you know, if I was in, I was, if, I, if I was in the right kind of frame of mind, then I could think about Torah. But now it's inappropriate for me to think about Torah. I give an example of Rabbi Shira Salanta, how he dealt with this. He went to a, a German port town called Lemel. And there were two communities that lived there. There was a Lithuanian community that was still religiously observant, and there was a German community that was not observant at all. And he made two separate congregations. The Lithuanian congrega- congregation was separate to the German. And then he started to work with, as it were, with the German community, and they were all they all worked on Shabbos. So he started by saying to them, listen, I realize that you're working on Shabbos. He didn't say to them, stand up and give a fire and brimstone sermon and say, Shabbos! He didn't. Because he knew that the reality was that they wouldn't respond to that. They just leave the shul. So what did he say? He said, listen, Rabbi say, he says, you and I both realize that you're going to be working on Shabbos. But let me tell you something. You may not have known this. When you go to the port city to help, you know, a lot of the offloading of the ships took place on Shabbos. So when you go to your little warehouse that you have to open up and put the goods in that have been offloaded from the ship, and you're walking in the streets where, of course, there's no air roof, do you know what? You don't have to carry your key. If you put your key on a special belt, it will save you the prohibition of carrying on Shabbos. And therefore you'll, you'll have one less thing wrong in your Shabbos. It's worthwhile. Why not? So you got them all to have a Shabbos belt that when they went to work on Shabbos, they were able to not transgress it. Then he went to the next stage and he said, look, the truth is, when you're lifting the boxes, you can get your workers to actually lift the boxes. You don't have to lift them themselves, and therefore that will save you from another prohibition. And then slowly but surely, he taught them how you could, within 
your Avera start to de decrease it and decrease it and decrease it and then get a non-Jew to write on your behalf when the shipments need to be signed and then and eventually the entire community became Shema Shabbos but what the point is but you would have thought listen why didn't you say to them listen if you're not Shema Shabbos so the Torah's got nothing to say to you the Torah says you have to be Shema Shabbos you're not go jump in the lake see it's on the coast he didn't say that he said, where you are, where you are, where you are now, the Torah speaks to you. Where you are now, the Torah speaks to you. And it has an approach to you. If you're doing lots of Averas, it has an approach to minimize the Averas that you're doing. It's not that you can only begin when you're okay. You begin right now. So when you're in that nightclub, there's a Mahalach. There's an approach. How, how do you have to go to the nightclub? You're going to go to the nightclub. You're going there. You're going. The question is, how do you go to the nightclub? Again, any references to, to modern culture maybe have a bit of a historical lapse, <laughs> fortunately. So all my references may be completely contextually inappropriate. But when you go to the nightclub and you see the man on the banjo, <laughs> and you see those people dancing, <laughs> <laughs> with floral shirts well etc I don't need to go into detail hopefully it's not relevant for too many people yeah I mean <laughs> but not too many <laughs> but there's an approach there's an approach in other words the, the, from Asia's Fastar there's a lesson to be learned the lesson is you have to look and accept the reality of your limitations and that's almost, par almost paradoxical to what you've been saying before because on the one hand there's this overriding theme of you have to be great in Judaism which means spiritual greatness and on the other hand there's this absolute realization of the reality of who I am that the greatness doesn't come at the expense of being out of touch with self and that's what HSFASTO is the other side of the spectrum you have to strive for the ultimate. Mediocrity is the ultimate sin. On the other hand, you have to know who you are. The one of the reasons, you, one of the central figures in, in the oral Torah, possibly the father of oral Torah, was Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Akiva is an exception to the rule of perhaps great men in Judaism because he was completely ignorant until he was 40 years old. It wasn't that he had this incredibly learned father and at the age of three he was already well versed in Chumash by five he knew everything and by the time he was Bar Mitzvah he was already like Darshaning like there are many Gedolim like that. Um, instead he was a person that at the age of 13 he knew nothing, at the age of 20 he knew nothing, at the age of 30 he knew nothing, at the age of 40 he knew nothing. And then he met a young lady whose name was Rachel and she was the daughter of an extremely wealthy man called Kalba Savwa. Kalba Savwa wasn't his real name. Well, he's called Kalba Savwa, which means satiated dog. Not something <laughs> I would call my friends. But the reason why he is called that is because any person that came into his house, he was so open with his hospitality, they left as satiated as a dog. Now, I had no idea that dogs got so satiated, but I assume that they obviously do. <laughs> Kalbasavu had this daughter Rachel and she saw this man and she saw something inside of him with her feminine intuition she saw greatness in this man 
and she decided to marry him. She went and told her father, and the father was shocked. He was a righteous man, and his wife wanted to marry a shepherd. Daughter. <laughs> Fine, daughter. It's checking. Sometimes do this. And his daughter wanted to marry a shepherd who was so simple and so ignorant, and he was, he was distraught. He was absolutely distraught. He was so upset that he said, if you marry that man, I will make a vow that you will not be able to take a penny from my estate or enjoy even, benefit even a cent's worth of pleasure from everything I have even now. And she went ahead and married him because she was so convinced of his greatness. And her father cut her off completely, completely, completely. They were so destitute that they lived in a hovel <coughs> where they barely had enough straw to sleep on. It's talking about a woman that grew up in the lap of luxury. Quite an astonishing person. Someone knocks on the door of this little hovel and Rabbi Akiva answers the door. At that point in time, he was Akiva. And the man says, my wife has just given birth. I need straw. Without hesitating, he gathered up all the straw that had been his so-called mattress and gave it to this man. So he's living now without straw, in abject poverty. At the same time, he said to his wife, I'm going to buy you a piece of jewelry it was called Erushulayim Shel Zahav, a Jerusalem of gold. It was a magnificent work that was exorbitantly expensive. Rachel knew this about him. This astonishing ability to live at peace with abject poverty and yet have in his mind an aspiration of greatness which was so completely beyond his current situation that's almost unfathomable. He had the capacity to live with the knowledge of lowliness and the confidence and faith in greatness. So Sarah so Akiba goes and she wants to build this man, this woman, who the truth is, everything we have, because all the Tershib al the master of Tershib al the oral law, is really Rabbi Akiva. And the only reason we have a Rabbi Akiva is because of a righteous woman. In other words, the only reason we have Torah today is because of one woman's devotion. Ironically, the whole of Torah is based on a woman's devotion. She sent him to Cheda. 40 years old and you go into a class with three-year-olds, it's quite annoying. Embarrassing. He didn't want to go with the ankle and shimmel and then this man with a, with a long beard. He said to his wife, I'm not going. She said, fine, don't go to Cheda. <laughs> Just go to the... I want you to go to the marketplace and take this donkey and a pot of, on top of this donkey I want you to place a potted plant. So that's strange. Why would I do that? She, she said, please, my husband, trust me. He said, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. <laughs> so <laughs> he, um, he, he takes his donkey for a walk in the, in the marketplace, and everyone looks at him as if he's gone crazy. Kiva, what are you doing? Donkey. He said, I'm doing it. First day he does it. People laugh, they jeer, they poke fun. The next day, she says, do it again, Akiva. Again, Shana Rishayna, you'll do it. This time, there are a few less jeers. People aren't as surprised. 
He does it on the third day and no one bats an eyelid. She said, the first day you go to Chayda, it's going to be a, all the kids are going to laugh, they're going to make fun of you, they're going to call you Zayda. They all spoke Yiddish then. And <laughs> Chayda's have always been in Yiddish, always, always. It's not shy. <laughs> Can you imagine the Chayda where the Rebbe's not a new Yanko? Um, so he goes to Chayda. There was a knock on the door. He goes to Cheda and tomorrow we shall continue. <laughs> the epic story of Rabbi Akiva.